we all get stuck in what we should do or what we should have done. The word should can inspire us and it can inhibit us. It can get us moving and it can hold us back. Why is it so hard to move past complacency and get inspired to build the fulfilling future that we want? You are listening to Should Theory. Let's talk it out. Stories, interviews, and more to inform and inspire you towards building the future that you want. Get motivated, figure out how you want to shift, and then get your shift together. I'm Tara Grebe. Let's do this with the Should Theory. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Should Theory. I am Tara Grebe, and I am here today with Mandy Capehart. I'm very excited to talk to her. She has a great story to share with you. Mandy, how are you? Hi, Tara. Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to talk to you. What are you telling us? You're so so, Mandy. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, great question. So my name is Mandy Capehart. I am an author and a speaker. Um, I've done about a thousand different jobs and volunteer <laughs> positions over the years. So I've got lots of titles that have changed. Um, but right now I'm working as a speaker and an author living in Southern Oregon. Let's see. I'm a mom. I have one little girl. Mm-hmm. We have a border collie. I'm a mm-hmm. total wine nerd and a houseplant obsessed plant mom. I love that. Among other things. <laughs> I love that. I wish that. Uh, so Mandy, tell the listeners, um, you're a speaker and an author now, but I know that's not where you started. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you were, uh, segue us back to the time where you knew you were in a spot where you needed to make a change in your life. Good question. So like I said, I've done a lot of different types of work. I worked in hospitality, in customer service, in education, in finance. And my most recent job before diving headlong into being an author was working in finance and supporting two different financial advisors. And even as I accepted the job, I said flat out, this is the least interesting career path I could ever choose as a Mm. human being. I mean, I told my boss, which one of them I had to, one was a good friend of mine. So it was easy to be honest with him and just say, this is not my wheelhouse, but I'm good at all the admin stuff. And I will be here to support you because I believe in what you're bringing to the table in this, Mm -hmm. in this world. So, you know, I worked for him for a few years and it just, it was draining. There was a lot of other things going on at the time as well, but the career, the world of finance was so hmm, just devastating for me personally. I struggled mm-hmm. so much to to be myself, to be lighthearted, to be playful, to be professional, but still very personable um, because finance is so cut and dry and there's a lot of fear around how we should invest and how we should be planning for the future. And that's Mm -hmm. facing fear head on is something that I've had to learn to do and had to wrestle with my whole life. And so working in an industry where it was very much the kind of underlying moment of every conversation, but I didn't have access to address it for people. It wasn't my role. My role was here's your paperwork. Here's what you need to do to get the funds out of your account or no, I can't give you advice. It just wasn't, It didn't serve who I was as a person at all. Mm -hmm. So I got out of it because of the pandemic. (laughs) I was, yeah, it was not, um, 
my choice necessarily at the time. I've always been someone that says my yes is my yes. So kicking and screaming, I will be removed from posts. And that one was no, no different. I had to be laid off and it turned out to be very perfect and incredible and ordained for that to have happened. But you know, what's interesting about that. Uh, and, and I hear this theme often when I'm talking to people is, um, this need to stick with something, even though, you know, it's not for you, number one. So you're talking about how it felt draining. It felt very cut and dry. I can tell already that that's not the type of person that you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's, you know, it's, you've made your bed now lay in it. Right. So this is your, and don't just lay in it, lay in it like the best person that's ever laid in a bed. So yes. I think, you know, hearing you say my yes is my yes, but they had to force me out of it basically. And then uh, the other thing that I'm hearing that I hear a lot is, you know, we know that we need something else. And yet because we're dedicated or um, have a good work ethic and don't want to leave whomever in the lurch, we stay and it takes being laid off or some sort of forcible event uh, to make us make the shift that we really felt in our gut we needed to make, but just didn't have the wherewithal to do. Well, -hmm. and that's what was difficult because like I mentioned, he was a friend of mine and he's someone I care about. I care about seeing his business flourish. The perspective he brought to the table made it very easy to represent him and to work alongside him. It was flexible. The pay was great. And at the time Mm -hmm. we were paying, you know, out the nose for um, preschool, which is, is, astronomically expensive. And so Mm -hmm. it was, it served such a good purpose in my story and, and really set me up. But you're not wrong when you say, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be the best person who's ever done this Yeah, because I really do fill admin roles well. I'm naturally quite a strong leader. And when there's an opportunity to lead, um, if there's a void of leadership, it's somewhat natural for me to kind of step in. And in those Mm -hmm. arenas, especially with clients, they would come in and have questions and I knew what to do next. I knew how to mm-hmm. ask questions they weren't sure to ask so that I could help them, you know, accomplish three steps at once with one visitor or whatever right. it was, just little things that made it really easy to be prideful and not in a negative way, just proud of what I was doing and, and the change I was making for people. And, and they appreciated me. So that was that's, good. Well, that's half the battle. And I think, <laughs> right. uh, you know, and, and here's another thing that I find tends to come up is Um, you know, it's not the right spot, but you're doing a good job. You're appreciated. You're helping out someone who's important to you. And so sometimes those, I'm going to call them good feelings, but those good feelings are good enough to keep you in the spot. You know, it's not awful. It's not that, you know, yeah, it's not the right thing, but, and whatever the but is. Right. Um, So, so you got laid off because of the pandemic and this was your spot now where the decision was made for you. <laughs> and so then what? Uh, well, then I kind of mourned because it was my birthday on the last day that oh. I worked. And I was like, cool, happy birthday in the year of 2020. Um, <laughs> but it ended up being incredible. I looked at it as an opportunity to say, I need to reset. I'm clearly miserable. Because up until that point, I had been homeschooling or doing the online school from home with my daughter. I was mm-hmm. working from home still um, trying to help clients. And so much of my job was phone-based, which right. you'd think would be great for an at-home worker. But because of the environment with um, my kiddo here and my husband also working from home, it was just chaotic. So the right. what shifted out of that was the day you know we had 
the announcement of this global quor- or, um, quarantine in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Not too long after I stopped working, or it might have been right before, I can't quite remember. But in that moment, I looked at the people around me and recognized there is so much unacknowledged grief that is about to manifest in severe and aggressive and awful ways. And I have walked through grief in so many different arenas of my life and and Mm. lost so many people. Um, Even the job itself, I knew I was grieving as much as I didn't want to keep it. And so it recognized, I recognized it as an opportunity again to see a void in leadership and say, well, what if we reframe grief in a way that can make it palatable and approachable and remove the anxiety and the fear that comes with trying to admit or embrace our losses or just dig into them. So it became a moment where I thought, well, I don't know how long I'm unemployed for, uh, but I can write and I've always Mm -hmm. been a writer and Mm -hmm. I can lean into these conversations around grief knowing that even while my family and I are are quarantined because we have things in our family that we had to stay home for basically for a long time, um, it became the opportunity I needed. And it's not to say that I was like, cool, now I'm going to write a book and be an author and this is perfect. Right. Uh, because that's just not <laughs> how it works. But I had an incredible opportunity and my husband was supportive of me taking the time and saying, I'm going to write this book. There's a book in me. I don't exactly know what it looks like, but I have a really good idea and I'm going to try to do this in between homeschooling and figuring out whatever. Yeah, all the things. And so it took longer than I thought it would. But at the same time, I look back and I thought, oh my gosh, I wrote a book. You know, I really, I really like, um, you know, when you say unacknowledged grief, I think when people hear grief, they immediately think about death. Right. And certainly, yes, that is um, probably the most familiar place uh, where we, we find ourselves grieving. But I really find it interesting that you're talking about grieving the loss of of your job. And I have found um, in this past year, trying to lead a school through a pandemic, uh, the people who were grieving the loss, I'm going to call it the grieving the loss of normal, which I think everybody was. Um, But my uh, my daughter and stepson were seniors in high school last year Mm. and watching them and watching the students especially the seniors and the juniors and their parents, watching them grieving the loss of what I would call the expected milestones yep. over the over the time of the pandemic and watching them try to be okay with whatever they could get, but still grieving what should have been, you know? Um, and, and I think they still are, to be honest. Um, so what an interesting point that you bring up. Absolutely, they still are. I mean- we've got this idea somewhere along the line that grief has an end point and that the word still is an appropriate way to address people who've been grieving for a long period of time. Mm. And so when I hear someone say, Oh, are you still so hurt over my mom died five years ago? And Mm -hmm. um, not, not a week ago, someone said, you're still pretty upset about that. Right. And I was like, under what circumstances would I no longer be upset that my mom died? Right. And she died quite young and, there's always going to be loss attached to the expectations of what our lives could have been and mm-hmm. the the ideals that we have built up around 
our futures and what we expect them to become. So for your high school students to have not only their own internal expectations, but the way that we as adults talk to kids, what are you going to do your senior year? How are you going to boost your resume? How are you going to volunteer so you're getting into the right colleges? Mm -hmm. All of those ideas, not realizing, well, this is a generation of kids that is now going to be suffering with incredible depression, but also incredible resilience if we can train and, and guide them through loss in a new way. So you're not, um, you're, I mean, to say you're completely on the mark when it comes yeah. to, I and see you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. And another point that you brought up about, you know, you're still grieving the loss of your mom. My mom passed away five years ago also actually. Mm. But, um, you know, I think, um, another thing I'm thinking of is a conversation I had with someone who was talking about having a major loss like that and they didn't cry. They didn't shed a tear. And they couldn't understand why, because it just didn't make any sense. And it had been a tumultuous relationship over, over that time. And the response that they got from someone who thought this was really wise was, um, you know, you've shed all of your tears for that person already because you've spent most of your life grieving the relationship you had wanted to have, mm-hmm. you know? So again, yet another spin on grief. So I'm very excited to hear about the book that you wrote because look at how many things that uncovers. So tell us about the book. (laughs) Yeah. So the book is titled Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses Without Losing Ourselves. Um, It's a memoir and 31-day guidebook, for lack of a better term, um, because it is my story. And so much of the book itself tells you pieces about what I've experienced and stories about people who I have lost or circumstances where I've been uh, derailed and had to Mm -hmm. make a pivot. And throughout the book, it's broken into very short, palatable anecdotes and tested techniques and tools that I used either processing in my grief or that I do use, um, or things that have been referred over to me as just been, that have just been incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I tried really carefully to address is that I do have a background of Christianity and my faith became a, a wrecking ball around my understanding of life and loss. And so this this story really embraces that part of my experience in loss, but also presents the techniques in a way that says, this is your story. Your story is actually the most important thing for you to figure out. So as you're reading mine, please don't say, well, I disagree with her and put the book down. Um, I tried to write it in a way that each of the days is approachable and invitational instead of well, this woman has all her own conclusions and has things figured right. out because that's not even close to true. <laughs> sure. If I had it figured out, the book would be titled, Here, I Have Figured It Out. Right. Um, I'm interrupting this awesome episode because I have to bring out something that I think we've all felt, that I have felt, and it's that gut feeling that something in your life is missing, that there's got to be something else out there for you, and guess what? It is so hard to ignore. We tell ourselves, I shouldn't shift. I should be happy with what I have. And generally, there are signs showing us that a major change is needed in our life, but we talk ourselves into ignoring them. Here's the thing. Those feelings are gonna keep showing up over and over in different ways until you get the guts to pay attention to them and decide to make a shift. And once you make that decision, people need support to shift. They need confidence. They need clarity. I did. And I would love to support you so that you can do the same. Right now, I have two amazing options 
of Get Your Shift Together to help you get the confidence, the clarity, and the direction that you need to make that shift in your life that your gut is telling you it's time to make. And if you want to know more about them, you have to go to taragreeve.com or message me on the Should Theory with Tara Grieve Facebook page, and we will get you moving to the shift that you know it's time for you to make. You know, it's interesting. I, I interviewed uh, Kelly Abanda the other day, and she had the best statement, and I don't think she even realized she was doing it. I asked her a question, you know, what what worked for you? What was the process that you used? And she said, well, the answer for me is this. Mm -hmm. And then she went on with her answer and it just rolled right off of her tongue, but it goes to what you're saying, right? The answer for you might be based in Christianity, but for someone else, they can still go through your themes and, you know, they could be Muslim or atheist or, you know, believe in purple elephants or ruling the world. Like what, it doesn't really matter. Um, So I'd like to get into, you know, you wrote this book, And let's dig into, you know, obviously the book has done well for you, but I want to dig into the fact that you've been laid off. We're in a lockdown in a pandemic. You're writing this book because you knew you had it in you. Any moments of, okay, I'm going to write it, but then what? Or any moments of should or could, or what do I do now? Yeah. So I love the title of your podcast, The Should Theory, because throughout Mm -hmm. the book, I, I, very clearly defined and emphasized what it means to should on yourself. Yeah. Because we, I, I've met so many people who've never heard that. And so I'll say, <laughs> Hey, don't should all over yourself. Yeah. And they're like, I don't, I don't know what it means not to. And that's right. such a great moment for me to say, well, your expectations and your desires in life are crucial to explore. And if you sit back and live in that world of should, you'll never recognize what could be happening in your story, right? You know, right on the next page. So what are you avoiding by leaning into those maybe misplaced expectations? So yeah, there were, I mean, gosh, yesterday, yesterday, I'm like, what am I doing? I've written Mm -hmm. this book and all my community and my friends, they're all so proud of me and I'm proud of me. My family's like, well done. But there's always going to be one person that says, well, what now? Right. And sometimes- You might be the person that says what now. Totally. Yeah. Which is good. (laughs) Like I want to continue to grow and move forward. I am that person that says, okay, what's next? I'm always looking forward. Um, But there are people- in my life to this day that don't get as much access because of questions like, well, should you really be pursuing this? Is it really the wise thing to do? Do people really make much money? Can you really support a family? Can you, you know, Mm -hmm. just these um, very opinionated perspectives that I didn't ask for. So, and I would also say, would you agree traditional perspectives? Totally. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of reality around, you're a woman who's married with a small child. You should probably be working in a job where you can come and go nine to five, Monday through Friday, and yep. and fit a mold. And I've done that. And, for well, a long and time. to make and to make a living, you need to go to a place, right, and do a thing, right, and earn a paycheck, right. And that's how you make a living, right. And it's not true. <laughs> if it were yeah. true, there would be no one working from home ever. There would be no books. There would be no conferences. If that were the case, there would There'd be, be no nothing art. outside <laughs> of what? There'd be no art. <laughs> right. There would be there would be no yeah. music, none of it. And yeah. I I think 
part of what I have struggled with over the seasons is is recognizing, well, what do I actually want? They, I've spent so much time believing that, oh, I'm a strong admin and a great administrator and I'm a great teacher, so I should be doing those things only. When the reality is actually those things all kind of convalesce into this much bigger picture of who I am and what I'm capable of accomplishing. I have to simply step back from the roles I've always been mm-hmm. placed within or put myself into and become intentionally curious about who I am and what do I want and what does it look like if I live in that place instead? I think also a realization that those skills are transferable, Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which, which a lot of time we forget. I just, I just had a, wrote an article about this the other day that was about the difference between starting over and changing direction. Yeah. And, and I think so many people, they feel like, oh, if I leave this, then I have to start over and starting over infers having nothing, right? Starting with nothing, no experience, no ideas, no tools. Mm-hmm. And really, if you're changing direction, which is what you have done, you're taking the experience, your administrative and administrative and leadership skills, um, you're teaching people about restorative grief. So right. you're taking all of that with you and you're just changing direction and using it in a different way. You know, you said you were a plant mom, right? If you cut off an arm of a plant, that's going to regrow a new branch or You're a totally new right. shoot, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's yeah. talk about that. <laughs> so, I mean, gosh, we could talk about plants and uh, well, right, but, growth all the time. But yeah. But the, what, what an example, right? It is. And the idea that you do not leave empty handed, I would love to read that article. So send it to me because I, I think the, um, that's pretty much what I keep running up against when I should on myself of, Mm -hmm. wow, I've been in, I was in this career for four years. And then I recognize this is a dead end. There's no ladders for me to climb. There's no growth for me to to have. Um, I have to leave. And so I would jump to a different career path with all the best intentions of, well, I can take this hospitality and put it into food service. And so then, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm on this path of management and I realize this makes me miserable and I hate it. Mm -hmm. I don't like taking orders from people all day long. Physical orders, like, please make this coffee drink for me. And this is what you're going to go do. Go do it right. now. And it just, it's not where I thrive. And it's not where anyone likes to be around me either. Sure. I'm not a happy person when that's happening. Uh, so I, sh- all these shifts have turned me into someone who does look back. And my resume is extremely varied and trying to distill it down into this new career path of saying, well, actually I'm I'm not new at writing and editing. I've been doing it for 20 some odd Mm -hmm. years. I'm not new at speaking. I've been doing it for a really long time. It's simply becoming priority one because there are things that I see breaking out in lives all around me when I share the experiences and the compassion that I found for myself. Mm -hmm. And I invite other people to that. That is worth 20 years of job changes and and leaving writing as a hobby, it's worth looking at it and saying, yeah, it looks like I'm starting from scratch. But if that's what you believe, you don't know me at all. Right. I so. love that. And so you, um, the book is complete and now you need to, I guess, make a business out of it, right? Yeah. Make a, <laughs> make, make money on it. So yeah. tell us what, what did you do next? Well, I have a good friend who is a marketing guru. And while I was in the middle of writing it, I, called him up and said, I need your input um, because I don't know 
I know how to sell a book. I know how to talk in front of groups. What should I be doing now? And he said, do it live. Why are you waiting for the book to be finished before you start teaching the content? And I thought that's brilliant. Um, and I'm also in the last year gained my coaching certification, both as a life coach and as a grief coach. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, Mostly because I don't want to just show up and be like, hi, someone I know died. I think I'll write a book about it. I'm very much that person that says, actually, let me be as informed and constantly retraining and taking new, uh, you know, seminars and listening to new content to make sure that what I'm doing is on the front end of ethical, but also appropriate and and honest and real. So anyhow, um, he recommended don't get beta readers, just get people that are willing to be coached and practice people who do you trust and trust you. And so I did, I started, uh, the restorative grief project and it started very small with about 10 people. And I just started presenting the book in the single day, um, installments and asked questions. Does this resonate with you? How do you feel about this tool? Every tool in the book, um, well, the book itself is broken into the five stages of grief, with restorative grief as the sixth stage. So the five stages um, were established by Kubler Ross Mm -hmm. uh, in her book called On Death and Dying. Mm -hmm. And her work with terminally ill patients is where the framework came from. But uh, getting people from the stages of um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But Mm. If you are terminally ill, accepting that your life is coming to an end makes sense. For the living, there's so much more that we have to embrace and move through. Mm -hmm. And so that's where restorative grief came from. So each chapter has five days um, kind of built into that framework. And the tools and techniques are all taken from different practices that address your wholeness, body, mind, spirit, and soul. So at any given point, there's a meditation practice, there's a journaling practice, there's um, cognitive behavioral techniques that are integrated. And this group became a testing ground for the book to see if this was actually meaningful or if it was mm-hmm. confusing. And it turned out really well. So through, through the book continuing or through the book being published now, I've the Restorative Grief Project is still going. Um, mm-hmm. and private coaching is still happening and I'm going to start marketing myself as a speaker on grief and wholeness and, uh, finding movement through our losses in the next year. That's the goal. That's awesome. And I know there are people out there who also feel like they have a book in them. I have one in the works myself. Did you self-publish or did you get a publisher? I self-published this one. Actually, when I was about halfway through it, I thought of a different book to come out, like something else that had been stirring for years before grief became the story I wrote about, mm-hmm. started coming to the surface. So I was like, okay, let's just self-publish this one, get it done and out of the way. Like I said, I always am thinking about what's next and what's yeah. the future. Yeah. And so I've got uh, a plan for book number two, and I, awesome. I want to pursue traditional publishing with that. So that's, yeah, that's great. The dream. Yeah. That is fantastic. So um, why don't you... I'm debating what order I want to go. Why don't you tell us now uh, if if the Restorative Grief Project speaks to someone uh, or they want to get your book, tell us how they can find you or how they can find your book. Yeah, thanks for asking. So everything is linked through mandykapehart.com, my website. Um, the Restorative Grief Project right now is is built on Facebook just as a private uh, free mm-hmm. Facebook group and 
the book is available on barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. That is awesome. And how have sales been? Because great. I'm curious. Yeah. Great. I was seriously like, okay, if I sell 20 copies of this book, I will feel really encouraged because I think that would be 20 members of my family who would buy a copy of the book. Right. right? Not sure. Just let me, not just let me give it to them. It's like um, when you're selling Girl Scout cookies, right? Totally. <laughs> yep. And I yeah. was a Girl Scout, so I would know how to fiercely sell those cookies. That's no, right. It's been it's been really good. I um, have a couple boxes of them here in my house, and to this, I mean, it's only been a couple of months since I published it, but to this day, I have people calling and saying, "Do you have copies that are signed? Can I come? To, can I come get oh one God, from that's you? Awesome. Where can I pick it up?" I dropped some off at a shop yesterday, and it, it's a hustle to self-publish. It's hard. It's yeah. not for the weak-minded. Um, so anybody that thinks that it's easy to do is. Just sad little mistaken bunny, as my mom would have said, like sad Aww. bunny. <laughs> and so hard. I would ask, given that it's hard, I would ask these questions. When you, so you wrote the book, you self-published it, mm-hmm. you got it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but I think people have visions of walking into a bookstore or Target's book section and seeing their yeah. book there. Yeah. So what, um, what struggles did you have? Did you have times in there where you went, okay, I wrote it and I made it and it's a book, but you know, how do I get it out there? How do I get it out to the masses? Well, I'm definitely still struggling with that because like I said, it's only been a couple of months and part of that is relationship. There's local bookstores that have said yes and taken it on. So I can walk into those ones and see it there. Sign Sign a few on the shelves. I just be like, don't worry guys. I'm the author. Don't worry about defacing the books. I wrote this one. Do you want a picture with me? You don't want a picture with me? Okay, sorry. Um, I'll (laughs) leave you alone. You will someday. Yeah. You will want one someday. I hope you're not sad. I'll come find you. Anyway. um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For me, what I'm finding is it's all about relationship, being able to connect with the people who own the bookstores, recognizing that I'm not just waltzing in out of nowhere. The first um, bookstore that said yes to me is the bookstore in the town I went to college that oh, I spent sweet. four years wandering through. Sure. Whether I knew any of the people who worked there was irrelevant. I was able to say, I love your store and you're not just a bookstore for me. You're a home yeah. off campus for college students and I love it here. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Relationships are important. There's, I mean, you can distribute a self-published book through um, more traditional means so that booksellers could order on wholesale. And that's certainly an option, but it's not one that I've chosen at this time just because mm-hmm. of the cost. And um, I would rather this be something, it's such a personal story for me. Right. It's something I really want people to know that they can read it slowly, that they can jump around. That's as everybody who has a copy that has said to me, oh, I haven't started reading it yet, but I want to. And I was like, I understand deeply. I don't want to to continue rereading this book. I yeah. didn't want to write it. But read the intro and give yourself as much grace as you need. This is your process. You're going to sure. move slowly through it. And it's easily something that you could see on a shelf and be like, oh, uh, that's a that's a no for me, you know? Yeah. Well, so. and I say too, uh, you know, sometimes you get these books that are for self-help and you read the first three chapters because you don't have to think about or do anything hard or introspective. And then as soon as yeah. it gets a deep dive, you go, okay, let's put that one on the shelf. And we'll I have a book exactly <laughs> like that when I'm reading uh, the Michael Hyatt, one of his books right now. Uh, I love Michael Hyatt's perspective. He's a business coach. And, uh, I can't remember if it's the life plan book, but I got to the chapter about sitting down and and writing out your life plan. I was like, thank you, Michael. I'll take that into consideration. 
yes. set aside. <laughs> a little we'll busy come back right and now. visit you at another time. I don't have time uh, to think about that right now. He's so, definitely rolling over in his in his <laughs> bed right now, saying like, "Why would you buy the book?" Sorry. I think that's that's something that a lot of us do is have a, a shelf full of books that we've gotten through the first lighthearted chapters of. And then when the real work starts, you go, yeah, I need to go to a different one. And yeah. I'll think yeah. about that later. So you talked a little bit about how even now you're in the middle of the process. And I like to ask these questions um, to people at the end of them sort of sharing their story. Mm-hmm. What negative shoulds are still ringing in your ears that bring you down now and then? In other words, how are you shooting on yourself right now? Um, I'm shooting on myself as a provider. I am a very capable woman. I used to brag. I got every job I ever applied for until I started mm. applying for really, you know, bigger jobs. And so it's very hard for me to say, you know, financially we have to budget in this direction because I'm – actively choosing to make less money right now. Um, I'm also shitting on myself as a mom saying, well, I should be more interested in, you know, staying at home all the time and doing all the arts and crafts projects or whatever ideals I had in my head as a young woman and as a young mom that I was more capable of doing because I look at our family and we're all extremely independent. The yeah. three of us work really well together and we love to be together. But at the same time, four nights of the five of the week nights, we are all in different places doing different things, reading books, mm-hmm. writing. My daughter's writing her own story right now. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things that we're doing. And it's really easy for me to say like, I should be a more attentive housewife. I should be not traveling and well, wanting to I'm gonna, go off and do these things. <laughs> being being um, the strong woman I was raised to be, I'm going to knock down your, your negative shit now and say <laughs> this, which yeah. is, as the mom of an 18-year-old daughter and 18-year-old stepson and 20-year-old son, um, I think there's a difference when you are a mom with a career, you can be a career mom in that order where your kids come second. And I think you can be a mom with a career where your kids, your family always comes first, but you still have that sense of self and what you do and step back and look at what you bring to the table and the role model that you are, that you're showing, you know, look, you can do this and this. I can be the best mom and love my child so much and do all these fun things with them and be a be an author, be a speaker, write a book. And she's not writing her own book or stories because that came into her head herself. She's doing it yep. because she's emulating you. And I think, you know, that's when when that negativity creeps in your head, I think it's really important that you remind yourself, sort of like brush yourself off and be like, no, I'm setting a really good example of how you can have it all. It's true. I thank you for that because we Mm -hmm. were just talking the other night. I made sure since day one doing this uh, that she understood what I was doing when I leave because I am gone a lot, Mm -hmm. especially in the evenings and speaking at events or gathering with women and leading small coaching groups or whatever it is and explaining, do you know what mommy does? Do you know what I do, honey? And she goes, Mm -hmm. yep, you help people talk about their grief and why they're sad. And and asking her, like, does that matter? She goes, it matters a lot because if we can't talk about it, then it just hurts us on the inside. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So if all of this was for her to be able to be the voice for her generation, then yep. it was worth it. And that's yep. the reminder I keep coming back to. That and 
when she comes home from wherever she's been and wants to rush to the computer to keep writing her detective series that she's mm-hmm. working on, she is seven. Let me just yeah. clarify. Yeah. And she's like, I'm writing a story about a detective looking for her friend's missing kittens. But she comes out of the office and she's vibrant and she's happier and mm-hmm. she's playful and she's not as quick to anger or tantrums. Yep. That alone, I'm like, okay, this kid is finding a niche that really fits who she is, this independent, she's a big storyteller, she's a creative, and you're absolutely right, that. being able to, as a mom, emulate that so life. Knock, knock that negative should right out of you. And <laughs> and listen, as far as the finances, I think uh, someone said to me, they called it the golden handcuffs, or or I have a oh, friend yeah. who, when when you um, have a career or a job that has great benefits, great retirement package, golden handcuffs I've heard, I've also heard death sentence, <laughs> or it's a life sentence, right? You have to finish that 30-year investment or whatever it is. And I think, you know, certainly when we get a raise, we always say, oh, we're going to sock away that differential. I'm going to keep living at this level and sock away that extra money. It's going to be great. We never do. We always rise to the level of income that we have and we create a lifestyle based on the means that we have. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've heard time and time again, less is more. And when you do drill down and dial down, it's, it's simpler is happier very often, you know, what, but now we're going to switch it. We're going to make it a little better. What's the positive should, because I think you can should on yourself in a good way, which is you should get off your butt and go to the gym and be healthy and, you know, work on that cardio. So what positive shoulds are motivating you right now? I think positive shoulds that are motivating me is recognizing I want to live a long and healthy life for my daughter. Mm-hmm. And that means physically, mentally. That goes back to the book, right? Body, yeah. soul, mind, and spirit. How do I actually lean into that non-judgmental compassion for myself that helped walk me through grief and carry it into this moment today where it would be really nice to say, cool, I just made you know $300 an hour doing some job, that's an amazing paycheck, or even $30 an hour doing some Mm -hmm. job. Um, But am I whole? Am I embracing what happened in the day? Am I demonstrating gratitude at the end of the day? Uh, And I think that those moments are just check-in, mental check-ins for me. They Mm -hmm. are bringing me back into myself, into the purpose of why I did this, into the, you know, the desire. Because everybody I see – asks, well, how's it going? Oh, what are you doing today? Like the idea that- Or if but you're what an, do you do, right? right? What do you do? What, yeah, what yeah, do yeah. What do you do all day? If you're an author yeah, yeah, or speaker, yeah. are you walking around speaking? And luckily I've been able to say, yeah, actually I've had a bunch of interviews lined up. I'm talking yeah. to a lot of people and I'm still coaching um, and I'm writing other things. But the idea that writers or authors or, you know, we all have assumptions that we make about other people's life choices. And I think keeping a positive perspective on myself and being able to speak to who I am and what I am doing really takes reminding reminding my heart that everything I'm doing is worth it, that everything mm-hmm. that it looks like I'm sacrificing or that I am sacrificing like financial stability or whatever that is, um, it's setting us up for a family that has the ability to do big, bold things, to set a standard for for our daughter's family someday. Well, and you don't have to satisfy their curiosity. You have to satisfy right. your needs to fill your bucket. And the bottom line right. is, are you happier than you were pre-COVID? 
Right. Oh God. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so, so now the next question is, um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to Mandy in the financial world where it was draining, very cut and dry? And she was living her yeses or yes, but she knew there was something else. What advice would you give to her? Depends at which point I talked to her. (laughs) (laughs) I would say in the last year of working in finance that it's okay to let go. I mean, my Mm -hmm. mom passed away and I started that job very quickly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I was considering a different pivot and job change that I could move closer to where she was so that I could work with it and see if, you know, spend as much time. But she passed within four months of a diagnosis and treatment Mm -hmm. plan. So it wasn't, it was a gift that I was protected from uprooting my whole life uh, and moving. But letting go of my pride in that, in that career path and in all of the pain I was experiencing and in the trauma I was internalizing. I mean, I was breaking molars at night. I was so stressed, so angry and in so much physical dysfunction that, mm-hmm. but my pride was sitting there saying, I can do this. Yeah. Everybody's breaking teeth at night. Everybody sleeps with mouth guards and ridiculous amounts of melatonin. And you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. And I, so the advice is it's okay to let go. It's okay to let go. Of all of it. Yeah. I love that. All right. Now <laughs> here comes the next one. Not so much your advice to Mandy, but just the best advice that you have ever gotten that serves you still to this day. Hmm. Soften and surrender. Ooh, tell me more about that. As a very strong-willed, future-oriented person, whenever resistance has come up in my path, I lean so hard into my ability into my intelligence, into my wit, into my strong back to fight and to push and to resist and continue to press. And I justified it with the idea of like, well, pressure makes a diamond. This Mm. is going to be good. Of course, it's going to shine at the end. It's okay that it's painful. And one of the things I learned both from my mom, but also in the wake of her loss was recognizing, well, actually, what happens if I soften and surrender in this? Um, A friend of mine I'll butcher the story, but she told a story about how her surfing instructor told her that if you go under and you cannot find up when surfing, if you get hit by a wave, soften and surrender, your body will eventually float up. And I thought, that's really interesting. Um, I don't even know if that's entirely true, but the picture it taught (laughs) me was, was this idea of like, okay, well, if I stop resisting, yeah. Not to say let people steamroll me. That will never be what happens with me. But this idea of learning to soften and surrender means I get to become curious about what's happening. I can take a step back and I can embrace mercy for the moment. I can look at what's resisting me and be like, well, actually, is this roadblock intentional? Is this a good roadblock? Should I be going down that road? Maybe not. Maybe this is okay that something's stopping me. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe I just get to be more creative about how I go around this roadblock. I love that. So soften and surrender is my, it's been my go-to, especially because anger for me is always right under the surface. Sure. It's very easy for me to rise and resist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, what I like to do um, as we're coming, as we're winding down is uh, a lot of times when you're having a great conversation, the little nuggets of wisdom or the, the 
key little phrases or moments, you don't realize how much you've said. Mm. Um, so I like to go back and say some of the phrases or things that you've said as we've been talking that really are poignant uh, and great takeaways. The very first one that you said is my yes is my yes. And while you meant it about I'm going to stay because it's what I picked, for a lot of people, I think it's my yes is my yes, meaning I have to do what I have to do and I'm drawn to do it and I'm going to do it. So I loved that. Um, you discussed unacknowledged grief and the fact that grief uh, takes many forms, not just over a death, could be over the loss of a job, loss of a relationship, shift in life, missing experiences and how that can really be debilitating for people because we shove it down and if it's not there, it'll go away but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> you talked about um, shooting on yourself, which I do all the time, not doing the actual thing, but talking about yeah. it. <laughs> although I do it too, I have to say. Um, but I, you know, I think it's something that we all do because mm -hmm. keeping yourself uh, in that world of should is often easier, may not be as comfortable, but it's certainly easier. Um, when talking about your creating your book, do it live, teach, teach what it is even before your book is out. And to me, that's an example of put it up messy. Don't wait for it to be perfect because up is better than not done at all. Uh, and practice. You talked about your restorative grief project and that you used it to practice what you were doing, but inadvertently you're helping other people right. while doing it. Um, you talked about your struggles shooting on yourself that you weren't doing your job as a provider or as a mom. We knocked that right out of the park because it's not <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> but those are genuine feelings, you know, um, and your positives. You want to live a long and happy life and be whole, give gratitude and embrace the day. And when you look back and reminding yourself of those feelings, you're definitely happier than you were. When you started, you talked about um, the advice to old Mandy is it's okay to let go. And your other two comments that I loved, pressure makes a diamond, <laughs> which is true. But, and diamonds are beautiful, but not always the best way to go about it. And embrace mercy for the moment. Mm -hmm. And that leads us to soften and surrender because you'll <laughs> make it to the top. You said some amazing things, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> it's really lovely to hear how it was, how it came out and what it meant to you too. So thank you for recapping. A lot of people don't, you know, when we have these discussions, you talk because you're just telling your story mm -hmm. and you're going through all those moments that were pertinent to you. But um, I think when someone notes them and, and gives them back to you, I think people don't realize how much wonderful stuff they, they say and put out to the world. Um, so that's why I like to highlight it at the end and, and sort of let you know that you, what you just said in these 40 minutes was chocked full of, of great uh, advice and, and thoughts and feelings. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you came on the show today. I want to remind people that they need to go to mandykapehart.com where they can find all kinds of information about Mandy, including her book, Restorative Grief, Embracing Our Losses, Body, Soul, Mind, and Spirit, a 30-day guidebook. You can also find it on Barnes & Noble and Amazon, and all of those connections are going to be in the <laughs> show notes. So if you didn't write down what I just said, you can click it in the show notes and find it. Mandy, thank you so much for being with me today. Absolutely, Tara. Thanks for taking the time with me. I appreciate it. I have it. loved talking to you. I hope we get to talk again. Me too. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you.
Hey, are you loving Should Theory? I really hope you are. If so, go down, leave a rating, write a review, and I'm going to read some of the best reviews on our future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.